So for that person out there that is that feels trapped where they are, there's so much more. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just I'm gonna encourage you, like reach out to Jill and I. You don't have to believe the way we do, but there's there's freedom and fun and whatever your values are, there's there's that out there for you. Like go get it. Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy approach to non-monogamy. However, it's important to remember that everyone does it a little bit differently, and the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own. Additionally, we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please be aware that we aren't doctors or therapists. Consult a medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy! Welcome to episode 7 of Focus Fridays. We're Emma and Finn, and if you're new to the show and this is your first time listening, this is not our normal format. We typically interview people and have them share their story about navigating and exploring non-monogamy. This is a different episode. It's specifically topic-based, and today we're going to talk about shame a little bit more. But before we do, we just wanted to remind you that if you're looking for the other nine parts of this ten-part Focus. Focus Friday. Uh, The previous six are obviously available in your podcast app. If you want to get all 10 of them at once, you can go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com, click on the courses tab, and you will find a link to download all 10 of them at once for free if you would like, or if you would feel good about it, you can leave a contribution for the show and help support us and some of the contributors. And we appreciate all of that help, and thank you for that. Today. Today. We're talking with Jack and Jill. They were actually on our show back on episode 97, and we talk with them a little bit more about shame. So a quick note, they reference AJ early on in this episode, and that is the same AJ from episode six of the Focus Friday series. So you probably wouldn't be lost if you listen to episode seven without listening to six. No. But it's a it's a good primer. Yeah. So I would I would say it's a good idea to listen to both, but you don't have to. <laughs> um, I think that's it for now. Let's go talk to Jack and Jill. Again. Again. Oh, you can find show notes and all the links that are mentioned of re- for resources mentioned in this episode on our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. All right, let's go. <laughs> All right, well. <laughs> I know. Here we go. Total disaster. <laughs> so. Thank you. Oh, table. Don't touch the table. Thank you, Jack and Jill, for joining us again. We're excited that you were, you know, willing, I guess, and excited as well to come and share some more of your journey with us, specifically around this topic of shame. And so. If listeners have not listened to your episode with us, which we will link to in the show notes for this episode, can you give us a brief overview of kind of what your story is? Yep, you bet. I'm Jack. And I'm Jill. And we are Jack and Jill. So we come from a a conservative Bennonite group that is very shame-based in the way that's that's they use shame as we move out of it. They use shame to control the the participants of that system and 
as a child, there's, there's really no, there's no way out of it. Um, and, and that would be normal to the way that, you know, as, as I listen to the way AJ talks about it, your parents give you your dogma and, and you go with it. But we left that six years ago and it's been a journey. Um, we didn't realize that we were leaving shame at that point. I would say we jumped into another church system soon after that. And it was just as shame based. <laughs> it was just, it was a new sandbox, but different rules. So we had to learn those rules over. And, um, and I would say that the second church system was, was just as shame based as the first one, but it was enough different. And there, there, there were some freedoms in dress, things like that. So, so in the, where we, where we were born and raised, I of course wore full dresses, home sewn dresses. I wore a head covering. There was heavy emphasis put on modesty. And of course, as we left that one, I could start to wear jeans or shorts and that sort of thing. So it felt like freedom when we went into the next church. But as I've, as we've journeyed out, I've realized more and more that it was just a little bit of a, a shift. Um, there was a lot of shame and manipulation around women's clothing in the next system also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. And so I guess what did that shame... Well, like, well, first off, before we get into that, where are you two now? So, in our bedroom. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was the answer. Good, good answer. <laughs> so a year, a year ago... Where okay. are we now? Where are we? Swingers? What do you call us? I don't know what we are. You're talking about belief-wise? No, as far as, I guess, what is your... You said you were born and raised in a very, you know, conservative Mennonite community, and then you moved to another conservative mm -hmm. religion, and then then you moved out of that. And so it's been a process over the last few years of moving out of that, and I guess just in general, kind of what your relationship and... I guess, and beliefs, if you want to share that, are at right now. So a year ago, we didn't know what the lifestyle was. We thought swingers were the Austin Powers type, like keys in the in the jar and, and big gold chains things. But <laughs> that was a whole process in itself. I'll speak for myself. You can speak, Jill. I do believe there's a higher power in the universe. Um I believe in source or the universe, things like that. So I guess agnostic, maybe um, the whole Bible thing, the whole religion thing. I, I've I've put those beliefs off. Um, I do believe in manifesting what we want, what I want. But I believe that God, if 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 there's a God, I see that in other people, mm-hmm. um, and I'm very experiential um, in the way that I relate to the universe. I, I learned from people's experience, which shameless plug plug for the normalizing non-monogamy podcast. <laughs> Thank I absolutely you. Love hearing everyone's experiences. I just, I can't wait for y'all's episodes to come out. So Jill. So for me, I, again, also a year ago, I said I was going to quit apologizing for being a spiritual being. And I still don't know, know exactly what that means, but um, I'm a lot like Jack here that I believe in a Godiverse, the universe, but those we're just, we're just rolling these days. Mm-hmm. 
happy to be where we are, living a great life outside of the constraints of shame. Mm -hmm. Not completely. AJ was so clear on that, that shame is something we're never going to. I think I've had very much the idea that I was going to somehow get completely shame free and just coming to a place where I recognize it isn't something it's actually necessary. It's not shame free. It's just shame less. So I just keep working from that angle, accepting myself more fully in my in my passionate, diverse, feminine, somewhat crazy self. Um, totally crazy. <laughs> oh, God. And you've started exploring non-monogamy too recently, fairly recently. Yes, we started we started thinking about it last November. Okay. And that was due to just seeing a lot of unethical behavior in ourselves, but in the religions around us. I've been passionate about sexual health and wellness for a long time, for years, like long before we ever left the church we were born and raised in. I really hated to see the abuse that was always going on, the darkness that surrounded and the control and the manipulation around our sexuality. And so as we've moved out of the constraints of religion, we've done a lot of talking about how has religion formed boxes around our sexuality and how has it created the darkness that you see inside of religion. And so it came out of that. And of course, Jack and I were virgins when we got married at 20 and 21. And I had held myself very aloof of all men because for me to admit that I would have a crush or I liked another man or anything of that nature, there was a lot of shame around it. There was a lot of Um, I felt that that made me needy and less, less than. So, so I was getting to a place where I I wanted to understand, wanted to know that I was attractive to other humans, literally Mm -hmm. not, I used the word men at that point, but I think it has. What other words did you use? (laughs) (laughs) He likes to push me on this one. (laughs) I wanted explicitly I wanted to know that other men would like to fuck me. <laughs> so that's what got us rolling in the lifestyle. I think that's a completely normal uh want, by the way. <laughs> I blush when I when I repeat it. So well but I you know what's crazy to me is I think even being able to say that to your husband or even to your friend, like that you want to know that I mean that in and of itself is something that you can't say if you are totally burdened by the shame and not that you aren't still dealing with it. But like that just, I mean, to me that says you've, mm-hmm. you've come a long way that you are able to say those words out loud, even yes. if you're a little bashful about it, like that s- says a lot. Well, and I think like, I, I don't know if we said this, but after our first child was born kind of, or after our second one, we really hit a low in our sex life and I was literally falling asleep in the middle of sex almost every night. And I, I didn't stop. <laughs> he didn't stop. <laughs> he didn't give up. So even though it was very, we kept it very hidden and very under the covers, pun intended that, <laughs> but we had, we bought, 
oh, we must have had 30, 30 books on sex and how to, how to develop it when you've got kids. And, and we were just researching and studying and like, we're like, there has to be a better way. Like we can't just die. What were we 27 years old? Yeah. And we're like, this is just like death. Okay. Can I interrupt? Yes. Absolutely. To be clear, we didn't ride a horse and buggy. No. Like Ken did <laughs> to go get a DVD player. Like that takes the case. <laughs> so we had cars and all that. We had, I had a Blackberry. We had laptops, all that. And we so. did watch a little bit of porn together in those days. It, oh, is this a confession? Oh, no, not a bit. Oh, okay. This is just okay. plain and simply a statement. Okay. Well, then I'm, I'm curious, how did... How did the church use shame? Like, what were some of the ways that they utilized that? And then what were some of the ways that it affected you and manifested in in the two of you? And you may not have realized it at the time, right? Something that you're probably realizing after the fact. Yeah. What comes up for me, I've heard across the pulpit from a preacher in a council meeting, which is usually during revival meetings, which happen every year. That's how we were prepared for communion the belief that they have is that you've got the church has to be pure the congregation has to be pure before you can have communion and that happens once a year and so every member gets up and clears themselves and then the the preachers bring concerns and the one dude got up and talked about that he talked about bras and then he also talked about like the modesty issue and that when he grew up his he, his his parents made them put on socks and jeans and a shirt and a belt before they came out of the bathroom after a shower before they went to bed. And so there was just this, like the, the modesty thing was massive. Um, I mean, yeah, the women. Were, I was always reproved. Yeah. The, the women wore head coverings. They wore dress, handmade dresses um, that covered everything. I was always wrong. My dress was wrong. Yeah. And there was just this, there was, there was, written rules, but there were unwritten rules also. And the power in those systems is mm-hmm. the unwritten rules mm-hmm. of just, it's a control measure. Mm-hmm. Shame is the quickest way to control. Like, and I don't, you said they, the, everyone in the church had to be, you said pure. Was that the word you use? Mm-hmm. How did you define that? Like, I, I, what does that <laughs> even mean? Right? Like, <laughs> I don't it's well, a moving it's, target. It, it's it's totally a moving target, but it's there's some people that are good at it. Mm-hmm. Jack is good at it. Jill was not good at it. <laughs> um, I knew I'm a politician. I'm not actually, but I was I was good at playing the system and knowing the right amount of tears and the right amount of confessions to tell. But I wasn't going to talk about our porn or things like that. I was going to talk about, oh, you know, it's been a rough year. I didn't have my devotions. I, I sh- I've been prideful, blah, blah, blah. And I'm really sorry for that. And I'd eke out some tears. And people would come up to me and talk about my, and tell me about my amazing testimony. Jill here. <laughs> <laughs> could never. I could never fake it. <laughs> what you see is pretty much what you get. But really. Okay. Have you ever faked it? <laughs> Switching topics. Only One only time. while she was sleeping. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That one time right after our second band, child was born. In band camp. <laughs> band camp. Oh, okay. Um ultimately that is what got us moving out of that system was recognizing the lie we were living and the double life. 
mm-hmm. and and seeing how we weren't we weren't living true to what our inner I use these words now we didn't have words for it then but we weren't living true to what our inner beliefs were so here's just like these are little little nuggets from that like I would say the span of like about 2008 somewhere in there I wanted to go to a nude beach so bad to me that just that was just the epitome of freedom and and, um, and this was while you were in your twenties, right? About approximately. Yeah, like, this is like we were married five, six, seven years. Had it, we were following the protocol of that culture. <laughs> we were doing, and you know, we were on a good in the, for the people looking in at our life. We were on a good track to become leaders, you know, in the school system, leaders not of the church system so much, but like the workhorses. Clearly, because you, you couldn't uh, keep a straight face in the church system. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <We're>, yeah. <laughs> so I was fascinated with, with nudity, and I didn't see any problem in it. Like, what's modest if you're naked? Right. That was always my question. I mean, like, throw that one out the window because... And then in that also, I had experienced a lot of, like, even though I would be covered from head to toe, like my neckline was up at my collarbones and my skirt was down on my ankles and I'd, we wore pantyhose and then we wore like a head covering that covered like all the way down here. <laughs> there wasn't much left. But even in that state, I had a couple, it's, it's really hard to, it's hard. It's ugly. I had older so men. I had older men. What's the word? Ugly. I hate the word lost. I fucking hate that word. So I don't, but that's kind of the only word I can think of. Like wanting to control you wanting, wanting to. Yeah. Like having perverted sexual thoughts about me literally as I walk by. Yeah. So don't stand in front of me and tell me that, it's immodest to wear short shorts and all this because men are going to lust after you because that was bullshit. I wore long skirts and, and men were creepy and gross and disgusting. It didn't matter what you wore. They were still going to do the same behavior. They were going to do that same behavior. And that behavior stems from oppression and repression. I want to be super clear on that. My heart goes out to those people if they could stop living the double life, they wouldn't, they wouldn't give up that aura or that creepiness or whatever. I think what you're talking about is if it's consensual. Oh, that's a really good If place. it's consensual, we're both fine with being watched. We've exactly, we've had people watch us have sex and I'm and more than fine. happy to be nude in front of any man, but it's when it, and again, these are not words that I had six years ago. These are words that I've discovered as I've gone. But I could probably walk more confidently in front of those exact men today, perfectly nude, than I could fully covered up. Because there was just an aspect of an aspect of shame in my covered upness, if that makes sense. So while we were forced you know how it is in, in those religious cultures, like the, it's put on the women that we keep our men pure by being, by covering ourselves. Right. So we carry a lot of that shame, you know, so then men do exhibit that behavior. And please, I want to be super clear. 
I am not man bashing here. That is a result of the shame and manipulation of those systems. It is not a male thing. I do not believe that for one minute. But there's just a lot of shame that goes with that. And I think because I'm very much either one end of the teeter-totter or the other end. So I was like, if I have to be all covered up and I'm shame-filled like this, what would it feel like to be nude? Would like would the shame feel the same if I was completely nude? So <laughs> I think that's where I'd often go in my head is right. why do something halfway? Right. Well, so you were, you were saying that you realized that you were not living the life that what you truly believe. So like the nudity is this an example, right? You truly believed right. that there was nothing wrong with being naked if everything is consensual. And in your the way you were raised and where you were living, that was just that was you were not living that belief. Right. And there I mean we could go I could give you so many examples, like another one. And like I said, it was always the unwritten rules. Did we ever hear that any oral sex, like (laughs) my grandma, she never told me specifically, but she told my sister and, and there were, it was always talked about, you know, kind of behind hands and like any oral that was from the devil. So either way, like doesn't matter. Just oral sex in general. Either way, that was from the devil. That was dirty, and that was like you needed to confess that if you ever did that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we went there multiple times to to confess it. (laughs) No. (laughs) When so then you're always left with these questions, you know, between Jack and I. Oral was great. But then there's always this question, well, like, did we cross a line that's sending us to hell? And then I would, in my, in my brain, I would kind of do the backward step thing. And I'm like, how can this be wrong? And I, I, you know, we kiss, why would any other body part be different than another body part? And so I'd throw that one over my shoulder and I'd keep rolling. But it's, it's through that, that you start to, you start to question everything that you do behind closed doors and you hold it up and you say, is this, why is this a big deal? And if it isn't a big deal, what does it mean? What does it say about what I'm believing and what I'm living? So, I mean, we were, we were reading every good book we could get our hands on that taught us about sex. We were watching some porn and it just made our sex life fabulous. Amen. Hallelujah. (laughs) And I stopped going to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) And and so then you just, you keep asking, like, if this can, if this can be so good, how can it be so bad? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I'm, I'm curious then how have you like moving forward, right? Like you were able to sort of, and, and it wasn't this easy, but to get out of the church. Right. And I imagine you still carried some of that, that shame or you probably still do. And does it still like, does it still come up and in, in, in what way? Yeah. So, so that was, we left that Mennonite system in 2013. Three, three weeks later, we ended up in another church. And what's funny for me, the, the whole sexual shame wasn't as bad in the Mennonite church as it was in the other church. The Baptist mm-hmm. Church. We'll just call it the Baptist yeah. Church. 
and there's such a difference. There's a spectrum, just like in every other lifestyle, there's a spectrum. My family was very, my mom and dad had a good relationship. They had a great sex life. I don't know that. I mean, I, they didn't talk about it, but they had a great physical, emotional connection. That's how I was raised. And the innuendos that would fly around our family table from little on up were, they're still hilarious. And we still have that relationship with them, even though they think we're going to hell, even though they set us at a separate table. I think Ken talked about the shunning. We, we've experienced that. Um, they, they won't set us at the same table. They won't shake our hands, things like that. Although we've worked through some of that. Where was I going with that? The, the, the part shame of shame that you felt in the Baptist world, the Baptist <clears throat> world, they would like any innuendo. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm just, you hear me. I'm just popping off dirty jokes all the time. I'm just innuendos all the time. And <laughs> I do that. And they would just like stony face. I'm like, Oh, okay. <laughs> this is a different card game that I don't know the rules to. And so I'd, I'd shut myself down. But what happened I went very, you know, in, in, in that, so from 2013 to 2017, I went very unethical in my behavior. The, the term I used in that system, in the Baptist system was I went, you know, I was, I was living in sin, air quotes. Um, but, but now I look at it in the things that I was doing, I would do again. As long as Jack and Jill are okay with it, as long as it's as long as it's consensual, um, but it was very unethical in the way that I approached those things. So that's it, that was a really interesting, like the shame for me. I I would say that I had kind of made peace with where I was at in the Mennonite world, but then when I left that and the Baptist belief belief of, you know, once you confess your beliefs, then you're, you're saved. Like you're good. Your eternity is secure. And that I, I, I took that and I had so much emotional, emotional pain. I don't know that AJ talked about emotional pain so much, but I believe that when we have emotional pain that we haven't acknowledged that we haven't, been in therapy for anything like that, we're going to act out in some very unethical ways. And I did that. I lived a double life. There's, there's a part of that too. In the Mennonite world, you have to live a double life. There's so many written and unwritten rules that you have the church persona and then you have the rest of your life persona. And I had that down to a fine art, hence the politician thing of act, you know, acting, pure in one setting, but as long as my church people weren't around or anything like that, I'd be a total different person. And that shame cycle has been really tough to break. And that is one of the most healing things for me. You can, Jill, you can speak to yourself, but the lifestyle has been so incredibly healing for me that we're experiencing this together. There's another person that knows my lifetime partner knows what, what I'm doing, what we're doing together. And that has been, I'm yeah. Another shameless plug here for the lifestyle for us. 
it has been one of the most healing things ever. Is it also a great way to uncover more shame? Hell yes, <laughs> it is. Yes, it is. So, Jill, um, can I? So, no, you can't. I'm going to anyways <laughs> because I'm free. <laughs> so, we went to Desire last April, and he's always, and especially when we came into the Baptist world, he's men are the term perverted is used, and it's again, it's another term that I just hate because it's so it's so shaming it's so shame filled and um so i think aj said this but shame is something guilt you feel guilt for something that you can change if i backhand jack here i should feel guilt for that and it's something is it a jack off (laughs) (laughs) and i can apologize and I can change that, right? <clears throat> but shame, the the sensation or emotion of shame is for something that you can't change. Like, for example, a kid going through puberty and he gets hard. He can't change that. Like, that's just, but there was intense shame around that. And um, so Jack here was always, a lot of men are, the term perverted. You're just perverted. You know, if you even notice another woman as she walks by you that you're perverted if you ever like like basically unless you're living under a rock your pervert men are just perverted and to go to desire and to watch jack um recognize that he wasn't this monster that was just because there was naked women around i mean emma are you okay with me speaking like this Okay, we're not bringing up the 14 orgies? <laughs> no, Okay, okay. No, I'm good then. I'm good. <laughs> You're such an idiot. <laughs> but to watch him heal and recognize that, you know what, I'm not perverted. Like, I'm a normal human. I Like, to love other human bodies, to love the the feminine form is not perverted. It's like it's like loving art. It's, it's absolutely abundant and, go- well, I mean, and gorgeous. So it was basically any expression of sexual interest, sexual feeling, sexual, anything, even if it was like you said, uncontrollable where you, you know, you were sexually aroused and you can't, you can't stop that. Right. Every little bit of that was shame was just, you were called names, you were put down and, Absolutely. We were, we were shamed for like, if, if, um, I know I had a friend who was absolutely stunningly beautiful and her, so we were never allowed makeup. Our, our hair was always pulled up away from our face and back and put into a head covering. So nothing ever framed our face and she had very beautiful coloring and her cheeks would blush. And she was always shamed for her pink cheeks. Cause she would get asked over and over, are you wearing makeup? Are you wearing makeup? So these were things that we, bodily responses that we had absolutely no control over. Like they were, they were given to us in our DNA. You know, some of us, our hair was, well, my head covering always fell off my ears and my ears would show. And well, like that was shameful because your ears shouldn't show what my head wasn't shaped right to hold the head covering right. So that my ears wouldn't show you know, and if girls had big boobs or a big butt, like 
you know, they needed to keep that covered and that right. was wrong. And they had no control over that. Like your body is the way your body is. No. I, I've got one thing to say here. So I was 18 before I realized that I wasn't the only Mennonite boy masturbating. I thought I was so fundamentally flawed until I started talking with, with a, a friend of mine and he admitted that he masturbated. I thought I was the only dude sick enough to be touching my dick in that way. Wow. I don't know that I ever had teaching on that or anything, but there was just such a, I just knew that my genitals were off limits. They were dirty. And I th- there was a part of me that thought I was the only guy that had discovered that you could actually touch your dick and like it would feel good. And I, there was so much shame around that. Like, and it, it just, it set me, like, there were so many unhealthy behaviors because of that. <laughs> I know of boys who were expelled from the church at 13 because they masturbated. That's a level of shame that you and don't to be come clear, back from. Not at, they weren't masturbating at church. They were just, they got caught masturbating, right? Like, just in general. They didn't, maybe even didn't get caught, but they were asked specifically, have you ever done this? And the answer was Yes. I think if you're going to get expelled, you should at least do it at church. <laughs> I, right? Okay, and to be clear, if you get expelled, they hold a prayer over you, giving your soul to the devil. So that means if you get expelled, you are going to hell. Until you can reverse the situation yeah. to their liking. That's also yeah. a moving target. Wow. So so going, so going to desire has been... Like one one way that you've healed, right? And just and and like you said, in the lifestyle in general, like realizing that the things that you thought that were flawed or sins that everybody was doing these, and that everybody does these, and that it's not necessarily a dirty thing, right? Like it's okay, you know, to if a, if a beautiful person walks by to look at them, right? You don't want to stare at them and make them feel uncomfortable. Or, but you can appreciate but you can, you can be like, the oh, human wow, body. Yeah. It's like the fact that you noticed it is not in and of itself a criminal act. Right. Yeah. And I guess what are, I mean, are there other things that you two have done to like help each other, like come out of some of these mindsets that have set in over the years? So some big stepping points in our journey. And I think we talked, we covered some of this in our last podcast. We did a a week of intensive counseling because of, I mean, a large indicator of that was my unethical behavior. Um, It was very much of a Christian bent. Can I interrupt? Yes. Because I, it was, it had a lot to do with Jesus and God, which is fine. But more than that, for me, it was a spiritual healing. And like I said at the beginning, I know that I'm a spiritual creature. I don't know exactly what that means, but it was a, it was a spiritual healing, which is something I don't have this, I don't have this figured out or thought through well yet, but there's, there's an incredible pain that comes. Like, I think that kids should be allowed to grow up and experience their spiritual growth without shame and manipulation. And when that shame and manipulation happens, there can be an incredible brokenness that can send people into really, really dark places, especially sexually, where they have a hard time 
even through good therapy and stuff, have a hard time getting away from really bad sexual patterns because of the, the, well, it's called spiritual abuse because of the spiritual abuse that is put over them in that time. And so that's what I felt like we were able to grasp that at a foundational level. And like I said, we're still journeying. We're still learning what all that spiritual means, but we were able to make peace with a lot of our, our past spiritual hurt and go forward from there. So you take it. Yeah. So there was that intensive counseling. That was a big milestone in our journey, even though there's a lot of the, the Jesus and the God thing that, that I wouldn't agree with anymore, but it was, it was a healing part. Mm -hmm. And it was, I, I love the, the shame thing really hits me deep because that's what we've been journeying through. You talked, Jill, you talked before about reconciling your internal beliefs with your external actions. Um, that's been a big thing for me. So, so there was that intensive counseling, and then we've been through a experiential personal development seminar that gave us, you know, there's closed eye processes dealing with our past hurts and all that. And we all have that, you know, whether it's parents, whether it's religion, there's a lot of opportunities as, as humans to be hurt. But then this, this seminar gave us tools for our present, and it gave us a purpose. It's a way. It's not the way, capital D, capital way. It's a way. Um, that's been our path, and it's really, it's helped. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, AJ talks about, like, get a fucking counselor. <laughs> I agree with that. Find someone to talk to that's outside of your circle that can just listen. I, I firmly believe that it wasn't until I was heard that I could heal from some of this shit. And for me, it was coming to a realization that I wasn't fundamentally broken, that I wasn't a piece of shit, like literally. And and that just goes so deep. And like the seminar that Jack is talking about, it was as I came out of there, I realized like I have worth and value. And that sounds so mundane in this world where, you know, every Facebook page says I'm worthy or whatever, right? But it was it was such a foundational shift for me to come out of there and go, my behaviors can be shitty, but nothing makes me a piece of shit. Nothing. Like, I am valuable and nobody gets to walk all over me anymore and nobody gets to make the decisions for me. And I am a woman with my own power, a brilliant mind, and and I'm not going to settle any longer for to be belittled by, by, by shaming, whether that's, you know, whether that's clothing or, you know, people making sneering snide comments about my clothing. And it has dramatically changed how I dress going out in public <laughs> and going back into our church worlds when we have to go back and visit every once in a while. I go back with confidence. Yeah, that's amazing. And I, you know, I think something else that is, is kind of important to highlight here is that it like you two have been going through this together and I imagine that's super helpful, right? Having a support system, but, and it's, and it's so crazy too, that it, it doesn't sound like either of you shamed each other through, even when you were at, in the church system, or maybe I'm, 
based on your remark, your looks at each other, maybe I missed that. But like it, your shame, even though you were supporting each other, the shame was so just coming in from the outside that even even without you piling it on one another, it was it was still so much. So definitely in the in the Mennonite world, Jack here. Everything was good as long as our front door was closed, but <laughs> it was always tough for him to let me out in public because <laughs> she has no fucking filter. She's never had a filter. <laughs> so, so there was always shame there. And we've absolutely, that was definitely part of our intensive counseling was recognizing, speaking into that. Like the, I remember the counselor and I'm just, Go being honest Go. here, you know, he just kind of kept giving Jack just kind of hitting him hard on it. Like he says, you know, Jill has never been good enough for your family. She's never been good enough for your church, you know, so that we made a real progress in that therapy with, and we're talking about a really patriarchal culture. Okay. So women are less women are not, they don't have the value that men do. They don't have the brains. They're not, capable it's believed they're not capable of running businesses you know they're there to have the babies and shut up and mind the men's business take care of the men so there was absolute shaming going on then absolutely and we've done so i i read and research and jack here has been one of the best students i could ever ever imagine as i've read about the patriarchal and how that how that manifests itself or displays. And I would tell him you've changed your behavior and you've been open to taking on the hard, the hard shit because in a way, <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> so there's absolutely, there's been that shaming. Have I shamed you? Okay. You can speak to that. No, <laughs> no, you can answer that fucking question. I'm not, I'm not answering that. I, I will say, being raised in a patriarchal culture, it's it's kind of like it's kind of like racism. Well, I'm not racist. Well, no, I'm the most non-racist white privileged guy you've ever met. My school had no other colors than white in it. So it's been interesting as a man in this to work through that because I was raised that the women put on Sunday lunch. When Sunday lunch was over, the men would go sit in the in the living room and the women would pick up the dishes. I it's been I mean, I'm going to go as mundane as washing dishes. I had no concept of how to start a dishwasher. So like that's how that's how fundamentally like non-education. <laughs> um, it, so it's been an interesting journey for me to realize that, you know what? No, I'm, it, this isn't us versus them. This isn't a man versus woman thing. We all have equal value. We are all humans, no matter our gender. So it's been interesting and it, it, and it still pops up. The control, like control is an issue that I have. I still have that. It is something I'm going to work on for the rest of my life because there's things that just go over my head. And I have to be reminded to not be a patriarchal douchebag. <laughs> so, 
So, yeah. Did you shame me? Yeah, you did. I don't have any instances. Okay. So, you know, shame is such a, it's such a nebulous thing. So in the Baptist world, like he was talking about his jokes that were dirty. And I sensed that, like, I'm intuitive. So long before they ever came out of his mouth, I sensed that he shouldn't be saying it. So tables had kind of flipped. Now he was the one I, I could kind of, I think I could kind of knew the rules of that church better, but there was a lot of men shaming, like men are just perverted men. Well, if this is men need sex every 72 hours or they'll just go find another woman to have it with like, cause they're just dirty pigs. And even though I fought against that in my head, when, when he brought out his unethical behavior, I absolutely had to look at myself and say, where have I been stomping all over you as, as the love of my life? Where have I not been listening? And that is where I feel like subconsciously or like almost as a manipulative thing in hopes, because here's another part about shame. It's always, what will people think? That's the core of shame. So I was always working behind the scenes to, to train him because I didn't want our new friends to think he was dirty or perverted. That's shaming in my books, that's shaming. And, and I had responsibility in that, which created more emotional pain because that's basically, that's what shaming does. It creates emotional pain. So we have absolutely not been free of, of shaming each other in it, but but as we get words, we do realize even it, without words, we were we were navigating. Well, okay, and this was another thing I wanted to say, and I'm I'm grateful for this. So in our in our first culture, we had such intense shame pressing in from the outside that it turned him and I. We had only each other, mm-hmm. so we turned to each other and we clung like two dying rats on a floating log, and that kept our that kept our bond when a lot of people don't survive emotionally together. We survived emotionally because it was like the shame was the shame from the outside pushed in so hard that it pushed him and I together. So we fought from a position of shoulder to shoulder. And, and I think we became accustomed to that just because we faced so much shame in that, in our first world directed at our home. Yeah. And um, I'm just going to be, I'm in a shame cycle, shitstorm of shame, as Brene Brown <laughs> says, right here, right now. Like we've been, we've been doing lots of talking and um, I actually did something called cranial sacral therapy the other day. And I think it went really deep into my subconscious. And I've been experiencing a lot of shame around our lifestyle choices and, and how do I know it's shame? Because every time I think about doing something, you know, going to meet up, hanging out with our new friends, what will people think? What if people found out? What will people think? And that was actually going to be my very next question was, have you felt shame in like this lifestyle journey? Because, well, because a lot of reasons, but due to also what you experienced in your past. Absolutely. 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 <laughs> One, two, three. Absolutely. Yeah. 
And I don't think we're nearly, I don't think we're nearly through the subconscious shame yet. One of the the key takeaways I had from listening to AJ's seven part shame series, and then also the audio that you shared with us is that you don't get over shame. Mm -hmm. Two weeks ago, I would have tried to sell you on the point that I'm free of shame. And I realize that that is one of the greatest gifts that AJ's given me. Thank you, AJ. I hope to meet you someday. And that I still have shame and it's okay. <laughs> I'm learning how to manage it better. I'm, I'm learning how to verbalize it. Mm-hmm. And I'm so grateful for that. Yeah. Because Be- just because there's shame doesn't mean. I should stop or that I'm doing something wrong or that I'm flawed. Shame is part of the the human evolution. For me that's been a big that's been a big thing in this all and just to hold space. I'm thankful for guilt, I'm grateful for guilt because one of the big foundations that I have in my belief system is unethical versus ethical. Am I hurting someone else by my actions? Namely Jill and if if I'm not hurting myself or someone else, like full speed ahead, I'm very, I'm an extrovert. I'm, I'm a flirt. <laughs> I get myself into situations that I have no <laughs> clue how I got myself into them. But but as I as I look at that all, am I being ethical in it? And that's a great guideline or boundary, whatever you want to call it, for me in in that. And it, it's so. Fun. It's so funny the, the shame responses. It, it it's like the the lifestyle has magnified that mm. for me, uh, Jill. You can talk to that mm-hmm. on your own. But attraction, or we were to meet and greet here a while ago, and the story I was telling myself is that the husband was into Jill and the wife wasn't into me at all. And then I get up and I, I'm singing a karaoke song and here this this lady, this wife is grinding all up against me, all up in my business. I'm like, oh, and I was still telling myself, oh, she's still not into me. She's just she's just feeling sorry for me or whatever. And it it was a total shame response. But I feel like the lifestyle has magnified and brought to the brought to the light. Brought to the surface. I'm totally gonna go all evangelical here. <laughs> And I'm going to use those terms, but it, it brings it to, it brings the subconscious to the conscious. And I'm so thankful for that. And it makes me a more complete human. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for me, like I said, I, I feel like I'm currently experiencing a lot of shame. So I've been, and maybe it's because I've been researching it. So I've just plain and simply been, been bringing up a lot of backwash from the subconscious into the conscious that could be too. But I think I've made mention, like, I'm passionate about both male and female learning to live, throwing off the words that religion and control and shame have laid on them, whether that's perverted or slutty or, you know, it's time we redeem these words and make them awesome again. Because to take away our sexuality, which I'm going to reference Nadia Bowles-Weber, she writes a book called Shameless really good. But she has a short description in there about how sexuality is a threat to the church. So the church, because basically from sexual relationships, you can gain all the things that the church wants to present as their, they have the the corner 
market, is that the right way of putting it? <laughs> on on all these things that if you if you explore your sexuality, you could actually find that in sexuality, but the church wants you to find it in them. So when I start to feel shame, I become small, I become resentful. I lose that freedom or that freeness that the exact thing that I want someday to to have an impact in the world around me that people go, she was a sexually promiscuous. <laughs> no, not that word. Oh. <laughs> Unless we want to redeem that word too. But someone who was living fully into my sexuality. And the minute I feel shame, I start to chop off my sexuality. It just, I, I just envision myself hunching and kind of crawling inside and becoming smaller and lesser and, meaner and resentful, like nothing beautiful about that. Nothing, nothing attractive. Everything you just both just said makes a lot of sense given what your life, like what your life journey has been. Right. And that said, a lot of people out there experience shame with the lifestyle or with non-monogamy, no matter what their background is. (laughs) So, I mean, I know we have, and that and our background is very different from yours, but like the, it's so helpful to know that it's always going to be there and that's okay, but it's how you manage it and, and how you acknowledge it and sit with it. And get, like you said, give space to it is what's important. Yes. Um, yeah. Well, I guess, you know, I mean, we could sit and talk for hours about this is, is there anything that either of you kind of wanted to, you know, sort of final thoughts and, and, that you would like to leave people with and not that they're final thoughts forever. Cause I'm sure this won't be our last time on the, on the recording with you, you know, no, you'll be back. <laughs> yeah. But, but, you know, for, for now, you know, th- something you would like to leave people with, you know, as they move forward after listening to this, I would say we've been through, I feel like we've been given a gift of being able to reincarnate ourselves or, choose different beliefs and coming to mind three different, three very specific, different, like massively different ways. Mennonite Baptist lifestyle. That's what I'm going to choose right now. Your past is your past. Your past is for precious memories and for learning from. I have precious memories from my past. It's, I'm not a mistake. Um, I'm not broken. In the Mennonite world, there's things that I have learned from. In the Baptist world, there is absolutely things that I'm glad that I went through. And there's things in the lifestyle I'm glad that I have in my current belief system. I guess the lifestyle is a part of that. That's I'm not defined by my lifestyle in a way. But the joy, the abundance, the fullness I've found, the richness, the, the rich tapestry of my life in reconciling my internal beliefs with my external actions has been amazing. So for that person out there that is that feels trapped where they are, there's so much more. Mm-hmm. I'm just I'm going to encourage you like reach out to Jill and I. You don't have to believe the way we do, but there's there's freedom and fun and whatever your values are, there's there's that out there for you. Like go get it. And I think what I want to say is, um, again, Brene Brown calls it wholehearted living. And a term I love to use is fully human. And I think shame 
is the darkness to the light. And the light is created out of our creativity, our sexuality, our emotions, and our spirituality, however you believe in that. And when we start to live wholehearted, we're going to come up against the darkness shame. And yet, if you can just lean into that, lean into that shame, bring bring those four things that I mentioned, your creativity, your sexuality, bring that all in and speak verbally out loud to your shame. It absolutely dissipates. When, when I start to go into a shame cycle, I just say it out loud. I am feeling shame for, and I name it. And it takes away all the power of that shame because it kind of, it's like a gremlins in your mind. Like they just, they just start, the shame just starts to pick away at your brain. And if you just say it out loud, you first off, you bring it from your subconscious into your conscious and you hear yourself and you're going, I'm going to let that ruin this night or ruin this moment or ruin this or that. And it immediately brings lightness or or the beauty into the situation. So don't be silent about the shame. Speak it. And like Jack here said, contact us. I'll gladly listen to your shame stories because I know that once you start, once you start to say it out loud, it loses all power over you. Well, thank you to both of you so much for just being willing and to come on and share all of the your story and advice and thoughts with us and with the listeners, you know, it's obvious that both of you are in the middle of working through a lot of this, which who knows, that's, that's how life is. You're constantly working through things. And just, it makes me happy to know that you're becoming curious about all of these feelings and working through them. And you can just from listening to you talk can tell that you're in a much healthier place than it sounds like you've been in, in the past. And that, makes us feel good, you know, that, and hopefully that continues. And I think a lot of people, I hope a lot of people out there will get a lot out of this discussion and, you know, who knows people may reach out to you too. So uh, to kind of add to that, you know, we're all always happy for people to reach out to us too. Like that's always more than welcome, please. And we can refer people your way too. <laughs> yes, yes, we'd yeah. love that. And we'll yeah. send them yours. <laughs> Yeah, send us the entire Mennonite church community. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take, we'll on take them all. So. <laughs> well, again, as Emma said, thank you. And, and we, we wish you both the best of luck. And thank you for all you've contributed to, you know, this community. And, and we're super happy to have met you. And, and we can't wait to talk again. So, yeah, have a... A wonderful evening and we'll be in touch thanks for having thank us thank you thank you so much and we're back thank you to jack and jill for coming on the show and being vulnerable with us and talking about a topic that is not always easy to talk about yeah and they've done it twice now and so thank you to them for their contributions to the show and we're excited for everything that that they're willing to share it's a, it's amazing and they're doing great work yeah. So next Friday, we have another Focus Friday episode for you. And this, Shocker. One, this one will be on navigating sexuality with Angela and Bradford from the By the By podcast. I think you mean the Pots and Pans podcast. <laughs> Pots and, I forgot about that. <laughs> okay. You'll have to stay tuned and uh, listen next week for that joke. That's a good joke. That's a forecasting joke. <laughs> yeah. Foreshadowing joke. 
All right. We will see you guys in a week with uh, the Pots and Pans podcast, Bradford and Angela. Thanks for listening.